If you would, please, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64. We've been studying 1 John for several weeks, actually five weeks now. It's a pastoral letter in which John seeks to encourage his readers, the believers, while warning them about false teachers. As we've seen, he establishes two foundational truths. The reality of the incarnation, God came in the flesh, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. And then secondly, the true nature of God, that God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Based on these two foundational truths, John then launches, he moves on to challenge the claims of the false teachers. There are three false claims. The first is that sin does not affect our fellowship with God. Secondly, that sin does not exist in our nature. Thirdly, that sin does not show itself in our conduct. He answers each one of these. But then what he does, because I think his readers, the believers might wonder, am I a believer? Am I really in Christ? He presents three tests that deal with our relationship, a person's relationship with God. The first test is that of obedience, the moral test. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands, chapter 2, verse 3. The second test is love, the social test. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard, which you have had since the beginning, This old command is the message you have heard. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and in him there is is nothing in him to make him stumble. But before he gets to the third test, there are two digressions, one on the church, the other on the world, about the world. But then he comes to the third one, and that is the belief, the doctrinal test. There are three parts of this, and I I won't give it all because we've gone through this. There are two things mentioned in this section that one could find troubling. It's in chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So I mentioned we find in both the Old and the New Testament references to the last days. But John doesn't say the last days. He says the last hour, and he says it twice in verse number 18. What can he mean? As I've pointed out, I suggest that his intention is not chronological, but theological. And what is his point? That opposition to the truth, those who are antichrist, tell us that we are in fact in the last hour. Now, having given the three tests, John now expands on each one of them beginning with the test of obedience. As I've said before, I think some people would prefer that John began with the, the doctrinal test. You know, if, if you believe the right things, then you must be a Christian. But in fact, he begins with our conduct. But he does something that we do not expect. I certainly, though I'm familiar with it, found it somewhat striking. When he talks about the test of obedience, he does so in the context of the two comings, the two appearances of the Lord Jesus. Six times in this passage, uh, he refers to the appearance. And what John points out is, 
if you are a believer, you must live a particular way and it must be done in light of the fact that God, or the Lord Jesus has come in the flesh and that the Lord Jesus will one day return. The fact of his first appearing, that is the incarnation, and the hope of his second appearing are both strong incentives to right conduct. The reality is we live between the two appearances, the two advents. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. But what is Advent? Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming or arrival. It has been seen as a time to prepare for the birth of Jesus, but also a time in which the church engages in self-examination and expectation that one day Jesus will return. But I think it's safe to say when you say Advent, most people who know anything about Advent, about Christmas and things, think purely in terms of Christmas. Very rarely do people think of the second coming. One writer has suggested that during much of the 20th century, the second coming of Christ was considered in the mainline churches to be an obsolete, if not downright embarrassing topic for preaching. The reality is, we live in Advent all the time. We are between the two appearings of the Lord Jesus. Where we live can be called the time between, because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ, came incognito in the stable in Bethlehem, and his second coming when he comes to judge the quick and the dead, when he comes in his glory. We live, as we have seen before, in the already but not yet. The Lord Jesus has come, but he will, in fact, one day return. It is in Advent that we feel this tension, I think, most dearly, that, yes, we have something, but it's not yet finished. It is the already, but not yet. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, as I said. And I would like us to think about this season with this principle in mind as we begin. We have four Sundays to work on this. This is the first Sunday. Here is the principle. Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins in the dark. It begins in darkness. If you will look in your Bibles here in Isaiah 64. Let's read the first 12 verses. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. 
Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? As we've been hearing the last month or so, the reading from the Old Testament, we are in the book of Lamentations. It was a dark time for the people of God. And we might well nod our heads and say, yes, it must have been a dark time because the Messiah, the promised Messiah, had not yet come. But more than that, as one uh, Old Testament scholar has noted, the exile was a theological emergency. Why? It's not simply because the people of God were exiles. They were in pagan Babylon. It's much more than that. It was a theological emergency because it seemed that God was not going to keep his promise. The promise of God had come to an end as the city of Jerusalem and the temple were burned with fire. Again, At this point, we might shake our head instead of nodding. We might shake our heads back and forth and say, these poor people, don't they know that the Messiah is coming? We do. We do and we rejoice, as we should. But just prior to Jesus' ministry, before his baptism, John the Baptist preached and said, the axe is already at the root of the trees And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. By the way, we will see the Lord willing in the next week, perhaps two, that John the Baptist is a key figure in the season of Advent. John is quite clear, John the Apostle, that the Messiah has come. We see it at the beginning of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. Jesus has come. John is equally clear that God is light. John wrote 1 John, but he also wrote the Gospel of John. And if what he wrote in the prologue is true, this in him was life and that light was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. If this is true, if God is light, if Jesus has come into the world, then why is there evil in the world today? In the language of 1 John, why are there false teachers? Why are there antichrists? If God has truly come in Jesus Christ, why do these things remain as they are? Why do so many terrible things happen? Where is God? I think these are Advent questions as we wait for the second appearing, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But I also think that we try to avoid these questions by focusing on the first Advent. Focusing on the first coming of Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem. 
We put all our energies into that because if we didn't, we would then have to face the reality that it's been 19 plus centuries and Jesus has not yet come. And the world is a mess and we see violence and darkness all around us. So let's talk about Christmas because that's joy to the world. The Lord has come. It's a much more cheerful thing to talk about. We're scared to ask, where is he? When is he returning? When will he make all things right? It may be, though, for some of us that these are not urgent questions, not pressing questions, but we are not alone in the world. We are not the only believers. We are not the only people of God in the world today. Considering the following fact, 11 Christians are killed every day for their faith in the Lord Jesus. 11 of our brothers and sisters are killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus. 245 million Christians face extreme persecution. These are the only ones that these are the ones that we know about. There may be many more. In a recent conference in Hungary, it was said that the unprecedented persecution facing Christians around the world in 2019 is the greatest, best-kept secret with the shameful silence of the West, which turns a blind eye as if such persecution did not exist. Our brothers and sisters are being killed for the faith that we have as well, the faith we share with them. And the world does nothing. The West does nothing. The United States, which some have said is a Christian nation, does nothing. But that's not really the issue, is it? It seems that God is doing nothing. Let's not blame the United Nations. Let's not look at the White House. Where is God? When will the Lord Jesus return? Advent begins in darkness. Peter wrote in his second epistle, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Yeah, I'm not sure we need scoffers to ask the question, where is this coming? I think we ask it as well. As Isaiah asks, after all this, O Lord, will you hold back yourself? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? The ESV has... Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Advent begins in darkness. Blaise Pascal, over 350 years ago, said that every religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not true. And then he quoted another part of of Isaiah, Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God and Savior of Israel. In late 1987, in Zimbabwe, in Africa, several missionary couples and their children were hacked to death. As one writer put it in writing about this, here were young missionary couples, teenage children, a toddler, children, a toddler and an infant, 
tied up in their own homes and hacked to death with axes. They were the only farmers in the whole area who did not have elaborate fences, floodlights, security systems, and watchdogs. They had no fences at all. God was their protection. Where was he? Where was his zeal and his might? Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God and Savior of Israel. Advent begins in darkness. It is this hiddenness that gives Advent its special character. Our life is hidden in Christ until he comes again, which explains something. It explains why so much of what we do appears to end in failure, just as his life appeared to end in failure. We live in Advent. We live between the two Advents. Jesus has come. Jesus will come. We do not know the day or the hour. There are times when we may feel this tension unbearable. But if you do, then you begin to understand what it means to be a Christian. To live in the already but not yet. Zib read these words to us today from Mark 13. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The kingdom has come. And it is in a head-on collision with the works of Satan, the powers of darkness. And it is at this impact where we as God's people are to take our stand. It's why it hurts. It's why the church takes such a beating. It's why 11 Christians at this present time are killed every day for their faith. We are located precisely where the battle line is drawn. John told his readers, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. We may stand in a dark place, but we are to watch. We are to stay alert. I think one of the things that should help us as we go through this Advent season is that we need to recognize that human progress is a deception. The, de- the idea of human progress is a deception. And I don't need to give you a list of news items from yesterday's news or today's news for you to know that that is true. What has happened, though, is we have been blinded by technological uh, progress, that somehow we have then transferred that to the human race to say we as human beings have progressed. And then we read in the news of uh, of a parent killing his or her children. And we say, what cruelty. I thought we were beyond that. 
We hear of great perversity and we're like, I thought we were more evolved than that. The idea of human progress is a deception. Flannery O'Connor wrote, We lost our innocence in the fall and our turn to it is through the redemption which was brought about by Christ's death and by our slow participation in it. Sentimentality, this is the point I want from her quote, sentimentality is a skipping of this process in its concrete reality and an early arrival at a mock state of innocence which strongly suggests its opposite. In other words, people don't want to talk about the fall because then that would, that would place us where we are. Instead, we become sentimental and we sort of skip over that and we imagine that we live in an age of innocence and we are shocked when terrible things happen. This blindness has turned us away from the double truth that the Lord has come and the Lord will come. We live between the two advents. God is light. Advent begins in darkness. As I was preparing this, and I have this in my notes, I can imagine that some of you might be thinking, Damon, I, I don't think I like this sermon. I, I don't think I like all this talk about darkness or darkness and Advent beginning in darkness. And I would answer that I understand. We would rather talk about Christmas and the joy of Christmas than face the darkness that is present until the coming of Christ. In our hymnal, we have a grand total of two Advent hymns. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which we'll probably sing the next three Sundays. One of my favorite hymns. But today we sang the other one, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. What do you hear when you sing these words? Born to set thy people free. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. They're thinking, well, that's still kind of Christmassy. But the last line is born to... Uh, that's, sorry, not the last line. But born to reign in us forever. And then the last line is, raise us to thy glorious throne. That's the second coming. But when we sing it, we'd rather think about the joy of Christmas rather than facing the darkness in the world today. You may have wondered, um, one of the hymns we sang today is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, doesn't sound like an Advent hymn. I would suggest to you it is very much an Advent hymn. It doesn't sound very Christmassy. But did you listen to the words as you sang them? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Why do we need a fortress? Why do we need a bulwark that never fails? Because Advent begins in darkness. The third verse says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little, world, one little word shall fell him. 
This is a hymn written 500 years ago. I think Martin Luther understood far better than we do. And we're 500 years down the road and Jesus has not yet returned. We live in the tension, in the darkness between those two comings. And then the last verse. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. Eleven of our brothers and sisters have probably died this day. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I think one of the things, one of the reasons that we don't think so much about the second coming or about the darkness around us in the world today is because we are afraid. We are afraid. We fear. And again, from what Gia read to us from Lamentations, do not fear. The purpose of this sermon is not to make you fear. Ben sang to us, we responded, we will not fear. One writer has observed, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. As children, we learn to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We learn that after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Christ is a gracious, abiding presence in all reality, and in him history will finally be resolved. But we're not there yet. On this first Sunday of Advent, in the year 2019, we affirm that Advent begins in darkness. Let's pray together. Our Father, we affirm the reality, the truth, that you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. But at the same time, we recognize that there are times when you seem distant, absent, that you do not hear. Dare we say you do not care. This isn't true. You are there. You do care. But we live in that time before the second coming. The advent. And just as the people of Israel seem to have lost hope that you would keep your promises regarding a descendant of David, the Messiah, there are times when we wonder if in fact Jesus will come back and make all things right. We live between the two advents. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has come, born of Mary, in a stable, but that one day he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. As we walk through the world this week, in the weeks to come, by your grace, may we recognize the reality that Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. And as dark as the world may seem to be, you're still there. You're our Father. We are your children. And by your grace, 
Help us to trust you as we should. I thank you for bringing us together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.